0: Hello and welcome to Agora Politics. This is your host, Alex Mershak. Today I'm speaking with Jason Snyder, who is faculty in the Department of Sustainable Development at Appalachian State University. We talk about homesteading, localism, permaculture, population decentralization and the possibilities for alternative, sustainable, human-centered communities. One more thing I noticed during the uh, review of this conversation. At one point, I say vaporwave, and I meant to say vaporware. All right, with that out of the way, I give you Jason Snyder. I'm here talking with uh, Jason Snyder. Jason,
1: welcome to the show. Welcome back. It's great to be here, man. Yeah, ha- happy to be here.
0: Um, so before I uh, get into our topics for today, uh, do you want to just introduce yourself uh, once again to the new listeners who maybe hadn't heard you? Um, the last time, I know it's been a while since we last talked.
1: Uh, sure. Let's see how to how to cut up how to cut up uh, your life. Let's see. Um, <laughs> Gosh, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Um, Well, currently, you know, currently living in in North Carolina, Western North Carolina. um, And yeah, my wife and I, and we're we're trying to start up a homestead and um, also teaching at the university and my background, I have a PhD in applied economics, although I've kind of revolted, I would say, against the... The framing or the paradigm implicit in that field. I'm sure we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, and these days, I, my major interests are things like local food systems, um, ecological regeneration, um, things like localism, figuring out you know how to live well within the limits of the planet. Um, but I'm also kind of a generalist, so, I'm interested in a lot of topics, you know, interested in contemplative practice, things like that.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And like um, the the first show we did together with uh, your friend Jared Jaynes, uh, we actually didn't cover like any of this stuff about sustainable, you know, agriculture practices or ecosystems yeah. or anything like that. So um, definitely check out uh, Jason on, uh, you know, topics and philosophy and uh, other more yeah. um, more cerebral uh, things as well. But uh, I just wanted to get into why we're here today. So I was mm-hmm. prompted to, um, you know, get back on uh, in touch with you over a small, you know, short little interaction that we had over Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into the whole um, the whole thread. It's, it's relatively short. People can find it if they want. Mm-hmm. But uh, you said, uh, you know, I'm not that ambitious. I'm just looking to resurrect an informal and a diversified agrarian economy with the power of fierce determination. And uh, I responded to that asking you some follow up questions about what exactly you meant by that and um, how you saw that playing out. But do you want to just tell tell me a little bit about what it is that you're working on in your homesteading uh, project and we can go from there?
1: Sure. So so we you know, we found a home on on like five acres of land. and, And the idea really is to I mean, starting with food, you know, eventually, um you know other considerations like like energy but um it's just to become more self sufficient to become more resilient less dependent on the global supply chain um you know I, I think with you know covid was kind of you can consider kind of a shock to the system and 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 overall you know it's it, there was no kind of like collapse or anything like that but it did stress for example global food systems um and, and so part of it, I mean, it's kind of a twofold thing. One is that, you know, we're going to have a garden. We want to plant food forests. us. Um, you know, kind of all of the things that kind of permacultural homesteaders do, you know, whether it's like raise livestock, um, you know, kind of have an integrated system. Um, and, you know, but also trying to kind of build out uh, a more, uh, you know, a more robust rural economy in the area, and I would also say informal economy that, you know, ba- basically what that means is that, you know, we trade goods and services uh, that's, you know, not not taxable, not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not able to be monitored by the government, things of this nature. Um, and so, you know, that that's kind of where my head's been at lately. And so mm-hmm. it, it definitely influences a lot of my tweets. Uh <laughs> Yeah.
0: Well, so, you know, um, I, I obviously, you know, I see some of your updates on the homestead and the different things that you're doing around the property on Mm -hmm. Twitter. Um, and you know, as someone who is just sort of generally wanting to be more independent, um, I, I, I admire that a lot. And I think that, um, homesteading is going to be increasingly, uh, you know, I mean, it's already a movement, right? But I think it's mm-hmm. going to be increasingly so um, over the next few years, especially you know, as you were saying, given these kinds of shocks to the system that people are starting to notice. And the fact also is that I think more and more people are recognizing the importance of decentralization in general. Um, yeah. And the fact that when you centralize everything, one of the problems with that is that you create a single point of failure. Um, yeah. n- not to mention other, other Problems that come along with centralization, like like cascades of uh, of uh, issues and so forth. But um, that's one of the biggest things that I think is is interesting about the homesteading movement. But I was trying to, in my responses to your um, initial post, there, mm-hmm. I was really trying to get at like, to like how how big are you thinking in terms of like where this could actually go, right? In, in terms of where it could actually end up, because I agree with you. And I think that a lot of the types of people that we interact with would all say that a lot of the systems that especially the um, industrial or now post-industrial economy have evolved around Mm. are really outdated. And and the, the incentives that they create for individual human beings are a lot of what's causing various kinds of perversions in our society. And I don't mean just It's just sexual perversions, although that could be the case too. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And really, if we want to start developing a society for the future of humanity that actually takes our humanity into account, Mm -hmm. and that gives people, you know, a reasonable chance to live a fulfilling life, and to be self-sufficient and to not be dependent on um, aggressive or predatory or oppressive systems Mm -hmm. that entrap them, uh, there needs to be kind of a reimagining about the whole structure of how we're doing things so what i'm trying to learn from you is like how how big are you thinking what kinds of things uh not only are you working on maybe personally but also are you thinking about implementing or or would like to implement in the future i know you've talked a little bit about establishing these sort of um, semi-independent or autonomous small villages do you want to get into to -hmm. that a little bit
1: yeah, I mean, I think it helps to to give some context context into why you know why I'm interested in it. And I think you already started um, and did a really good job. Um, but you know, in general, I, I, I see the future uh, fraught with peril, so to speak. Um, so I'm <laughs> no. a little bit of a black pill. well, what, one thing I would say to the black pill is that in order to be truly optimistic in a very grounded sense, you need to be black pilled first. And then, and then you can feel very empowered to move forward in a in a very positive direction. The only way out is through. Uh, what's that? I said the only way out is through. Exactly, exactly. Um, and and so when I look at things like you know the the climate, the upcoming climate crisis, um, the ecological crisis, um, industrial agriculture is destroying our topsoil, um, sending it into into the ocean uh, where it's causing problems there. Um, there's just several, so that's, that's just on an ecological end. I, I also think that we're going to have uh, severe energy crises pretty soon. Um, a lot of people disagree with me here, um, but you know the energy return on investment for, for fossil fuels is not going in a good direction. Uh, people are optimistic about nuclear, but um, show me the money, uh, let's make it happen. People have been talking about nuclear for decades. Uh, solar, solar is solar is optimistic. Um, batteries are getting better and cheaper, and solar is getting cheaper. But you know this idea that it's going to replace the whole global economy with rising demand as it's going, um, I think is 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 a little bit. I mean, it's it's possible, certainly possible, but uh, I think that uh, the chances of that happening are not as high as people think. Uh, and so. Figuring out one how we're going to deal with more chaotic climate, um, you know, ecological degradation, uh, you know, undermining kind of the very basis of existence for for humans and other life forms, as well as you know possibly, and I would say probably, uh, having to operate on less energy, uh, or if it's similar amounts of energy, more decentralized, right? Like um, focusing, relying more on flows instead of stocks, for example you know, that all leads me to, okay, one, we need to become more decentralized, more rural, less urban. Uh, I'm not saying that we're all going to live in the middle of nowhere in a shack in the woods. That's not possible. But, you know, um, what we had, say, in the, you know, pre-World War II area, for for example, you know, where we had kind of small towns, um, you know, rural, rural America was much more vibrant back then. You know, you had, you know, these days it's very hollowed out. I think, you know, everyone's saying urbanization, 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 you know, that's the trend of the future and it is the trend right now, but I just don't think that the complexity of urban urbanization, the global economic system, um, I just don't think it can maintain itself. And so we better start thinking in a more, uh, more rural, more decentralized way pretty quickly and also more resilient and and more self-sufficient, not, not purely as households, but at least as communities. Um, that's not to say that we're going to be totally self-sufficient. There's still going to be trade and all of that. But I, I just think that the, er, the 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 sooner that people start moving this direction voluntarily, the softer the line is going to be later. Okay. So that's uh, kind of a context. Um, I don't know if I answered your question or not.
0: Well, I, I think that you gave me a lot to work with there. So we can go off of that a little bit. Um w- you you talked about a move back towards ruralization. Um, and obviously, a lot of the forces that caused um, urbanization in the first place are purely economic forces. Um, there are a
1: lot of benefits and, and to cheap energy. Che- cheap yeah. energy is a big one. Yeah,
0: there are a lot of benefits to living in uh, high population density areas. Um, c- cities tend to benefit from various kinds of power laws. Um, by having more people in them. Um, and so there is a little bit of a problem with that. But I, I would say that the primary difference um, and, and the reason for that um, transition from a more rural distributed population to an increasingly urban one has to do with the fact that uh, in the pre-industrial economy, people's um, sustenance their subs- was, was tied to the land. Right. And mm-hmm. so you needed to own land. And, and most people were, were farmers of, of one kind or another, even if they're only subsistence farmers. Um, whereas now, uh, you know, obviously, since since the Industrial Revolution, increasingly, fewer and fewer people actually need to have real physical land in order to sustain themselves. Um, yeah. So where what do you see as the key forces that could actually drive this decentralization process. I mean, people are already talking about, obviously in the era of, of the pandemic, they're talking about um, migrations out of some of the bigger population centers like New York and San Francisco. But usually the discourse around that, at least I've noticed, is not, oh, we're going to go fill up all these empty spaces. It's usually, well, we're going to move uh, all of these professionals. The professional class is just going to uh, – exit into lower tier cities um, mm-hmm. throughout the country, which I think is also good. I think it's good to have more distributed yeah. um, human capital, but right. that's not exactly the vision that you described. So
1: how do you see things going more rural? Yeah. I mean, so, so one thing is I still think that there will be small cities like, you know, 50 to 100,000, I think is, is probably necessary just given our population. Um, and so I see it as you know, a lot more very small rural villages, um, and maybe everybody lives within thirty minutes to sixty minutes from a city of fifty thousand. That mm. you know, spread out all across the United States and and everywhere else. That's that that's that's kind of my what I see, what I want to see happen, and also, also what I, what I think will will happen. Um, in terms of the the power laws and stuff, I mean. You have a point there, um, but I think also with the internet, and you know, now we're seeing this trend of remote work of people collaborating online. You know, actually physically being in a in a place in order to you know brainstorm, share ideas, innovate. I, I don't think is quite as necessary. So, so I think that offsets that a little bit. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of like you know why I think ruralization is necessary, is I just think that. Like right now, we have maybe like two to five percent of the population is farmers, um, something like that. And I just don't think that that's enough. I I think that's only possible with industrial agriculture, uh, going back to that, with really large scale monocropping. And I I just don't think that's sustainable for, you know, a whole host of reasons. And so, you know, I I would like to see, for example, maybe like 20 percent of the population at least doing some kind of agriculture on the side, right? Uh, At least doing some kind of Homesteading, where where they're maybe you know self-provisioning a quarter to to a half of their of their food source, something like that. Um, and I think you know, and for me that solves a number of dilemmas. It, it solves the it solves the ecological dilemma because generally small farms are more diverse. Um, you know, traditional farmers took t- took care of their land a lot better. You know, they 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 had you know many different crops. Uh, they had animals, and they were they knew how to maintain the land, maintain fertility. I mean, traditional farmers were the OG permaculturists, basically, right? I right. mean, there's been a few new innovative techniques adapted, but you know, it's really nothing new under the sun. Um, and so it would it would help solve the the ecological crisis associated with agriculture. Um, so that's one. I, I think. Another, though, is, I mean, from my perspective, so, you know, I'm really influenced by people like Wendell Berry, um, who, you know, he talks a lot about kind of the the meaning crisis and, and the crisis of specialization, where we all become so hyper-specialized, uh, and what that does is that it makes us very fragile, because we're, we're, we're no longer generalists in a practical sense, right? Like, we no longer, you know, in, in you know, the old-time homesteaders, you know, and maybe they... They also did other things, they, they had other crafts, but they also were homesteaders, like they were generalists. They knew how to do many different things. They knew how to grow food. They knew how to build things. They knew how to, you know, they were very just good with their hands, right? And they were really tied to the earth. And I just think that there's an inherent value in that. And I think that a lot of kind of the, you know, the, the existential crises that we see in society, you know, a lot of the meaning crises come from being, you know, very disconnected from the sources of our sustenance. Um, it's all become very abstract. It's all become very, you know, I might, you know, I might be a programmer and, you know, I'm, I'm focused on a very specific task and, and everything else, you know, I, I expect to work in order for me to, to survive. Right. But what if, you know, in the future, we do have an energy crunch and all of a sudden supply chains break down or, you know, we have, you know, multiple bread, bread baskets around the world fail at once due to climate change. And all of a sudden, you know, countries are hoarding food or something like that. Um, all of a sudden, you know, not having any generalist skills uh, and not being tied to a place where you know your neighbors and you can help each other out and provide mutual aid to each other is really going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, you saw that happening actually in a very minor way in the beginning of the pandemic, right, where people were worried about supplies, um, you, you know. know. The, the gun sales went went through the roof. I mean, people were yeah. a little concerned there for a minute that that shit might actually go down. And um, I think if you were living, uh, if you're an urban person and you're living, you know, in some uh, large high rise apartment building and you don't know any of your neighbors and you don't have any yard to go in or anything like that, I mean, um, this situation could be could be quite difficult. Um, whereas someone that maybe is in a smaller community and has those ties. Um, And has a really good established connection with their neighbors would be in a much better position should these sort of larger systems fail. Um, Because a lot of a lot of what keeps, you know, humans sort of peaceful and uh, civilized and not not so barbaric towards one another is is really just based around commerce. And if the commerce systems break down, if the supply chains start breaking down. Who knows what's going to (laughs) happen
1: Right. There's there's a saying that like, you know, anarchy is two point two and a half meals away or something, two two mm-hmm. two and a half missed meals away. You, you right. out anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think people should take, you know, going to the supermarket and having plenty of food for, you know, extremely cheap, uh, by the way, artificially cheap. I don't think they should take that, take that for granted. Um, I don't think that's that's going to be viable in the long term, you know, even in the middle term future. Mm hmm. So this point you said about
0: specialization, um, uh, I want to dig into that a little bit. There's a famous quote from, I believe it's E.O. Wilson, which is specialization is for insects. Um, right. Yeah, that's a great and, quote. And, that's, and, and you said that um, these, uh, was it, was it the farmers or the original generalists? Um,
1: yeah, I would say so. I mean, the, the farm, the kind of small farm homesteaders, you know, perhaps they also did other crafts on the side. Yeah. I mean, they, they knew they had to know how to do many different things, uh, related to livelihood.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's an interesting story of, uh, uh, that you could find out there. There's uh, Jeff Bezos actually, uh, it's sort of the opposite of a lot of what we're talking about but uh, <laughs> it right. happened to be he spent most of his childhood actually on uh, all of his summers uh, during his childhood on a ranch with his grandfather and he describes hmm. how he learned how to do all kinds of things like uh delivering a baby a baby calf and you know mending a fence and and, and all these various kinds of chores and tasks that he had to do around the ranch um hmm. and that sort of at least from what i've I've read about him uh informed his um I guess aptitude towards sort of just innovating and making use out of what you have, and, and these kinds of things like that. Those sort of formative experiences, right? Um, right. But I, I was going to say, you know, uh, uh, back to that quote I, I mentioned. Uh, you know, you said that the farmers were the original generalists, and I was just thinking when you were saying that that uh, actually Homo sapiens are the original gen- are the OG generalists. <laughs> you know, yeah. out of all the yeah. species, were mm-hmm. the most adaptable. Uh, throughout our okay. lifetimes. Obviously, as, as I'm sure you know, um, our, our brains are more modular than any other species that we know of. So uh, we really aren't supposed to be spe- specialists. You know, there are some mm-hmm. people maybe who, for whatever reason, uh, might be inclined towards hyper-specialization. But in general, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you that as somebody who doesn't want to special have to specialize, you um, that that human beings are meant to be generalists, and I I um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your um, the the thing about alienation from your labor that that you mentioned there. That's sort of tied in with this. Um, it sounded to me a little bit like Marxist theory, uh, which is <laughs> that you know man is a species being, and mm-hmm. you know the 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 factory work that he's forced to do by the capitalists alienates man from his labor because he can't enjoy the fruits of his labor, and he's not tied to the the community that the um, the fruits of the labor that he's producing is going out to um, and, you know, doesn't have any um, sort of uh, bonds between him, even and his fellow workers, because, of course, the you know, the owners of the means of production are, are, are pitting the workers against one another. This all sounds mm-hmm. very, um, very Marxist, like a very Marxist critique to me is your view on alienation from one's labor grounded in Marxism or is it separate from that?
1: Uh, Just just a note um, your audio and video is not synced. Oh, is it lagging a little bit? No, that seems better. Is it better now? Yeah, now it's better. Oh,
0: yeah. All right. I'll see Um, if I can fix that later But probably not.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not to be honest. I'm not really steeped in Marxist theory Um, You know from what I've heard of, you know, people, you know uh, using kind of Marxist critiques of capitalism. I think a lot of it's pretty insightful, but you know, um, that's not really where my inspiration draws from. I, I would say I'm more of a, a distributionist, mm-hmm. which is much, you know, like so or, or a localist. And and basically, so, so it's more of a critique or it's more of an analysis of scale. And so it's about getting the scale right. And so if you're if you're at the right scale, you can experiment with many different economic systems. You can you can have everybody, you know, owning three acres and a cow and then maybe you have a a commons area that is kind of a shared resources that is jointly managed, um, or you have something more communal, right? You have something like an eco village where there's, you know, more stuff that shared. Um, I'm thinking, you know, maybe like the Zapatistas, uh, in Southern Mexico, right. Where, where that's more of a, I would say, uh, kind of a libertarian Marxist model. Um, what do they do in there? Uh, well, I mean, Basically, they they've taken over like a third of the state of Chiapas to to basically preserve their indigenous culture. I mean, they, they basically rose up after NAFTA was passed uh, in protest. Part of it was the GMO corn because they you know they're very they were very concerned that you know the high high levels of you know genetic diversity of their corn you know highest in the world uh, would be would be corrupted. Uh, but it, you know they're also concerned about you know their their commons land being sold off, and so they rose up you know, an armed revolt, and, and basically, you know, they're still kind of at war with Mexican government, but it's, it's kind of a testy standoff, but they basically, you know, occupy like a third of the state of Chiapas. And, and, you know, the way they operate is, I think they have like a little bit of land per each family to themselves, but there's a, a big emphasis on like public service. And so there's a big emphasis on the commons of like, you know, your obligation is to serve like on political boards or as teachers or, you know, other things for the community you know, as part of being in the community. And so it's kind of, you know, you can say it's, you know, it's kind of socialist in that way, but it's in a a very decentralized way. Um, And so you can have something more like that, right? And so for me, you know, um, if you get the scale right, then, you know, some communities will be much more kind of Anarcho-capitalists, and some will be much more anarcho-communists, right? And I think all of that's fine. Like whatever works, whatever whatever's, you know works for your sensibilities, I think that's good. Um, you know, me personally, I, I'm a little bit of an introvert, so I wouldn't want to live in a commune. My my parents met on a hippie commune, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know they eventually left. Uh, you know, so I'm a I'm a fan of families. Uh, you know, preferably we don't have that really now, but multi-generational families. You know owning their own stuff but but the community also sharing a lot of stuff you know sharing community spaces um you know perhaps again kind of you know common uh, common pooled resources that you know that everybody kind of draws from and you know maybe some kind of ostrom informal ostrom cont- contract or something um but so while i resonate with some of marxist theory it's i'm not it's not where you know it's not where that's coming from i'm not i'm not steeped in it's not coming from that good um so
0: you're not exactly you said you're not exactly describing communes um but these are more or less informal setups um do you imagine yeah. these communities taking root uh within the existing structure right like with so you're in the united we're in the united states um yeah. these would be happening within the united states like you're not planning on like trying to you know buy a piece of land somewhere and like you know, secede from some weak government <laughs> or something, right?
1: Um, not, or maybe not maybe you don't want to reveal your full <laughs> <laughs> intentions. I mean, you know, ask me in five years. Um, you know, I, I think that you know there guess, are some experiments of people. You know, like there's a big eco village. You know, eco village kind of kind of movement all over the world. You know, you're familiar with Game B. You know, Game B is all about kind of creating these little micro settlements. Um, uh, Dunbar Dunbar level micro settlements. Um, you know, I would love I would love nothing more than to be able to buy all buy up all the land around me and invite all my friends. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah. that's not that's not Joe that's Rogan not talks
0: about me. talks about that.
1: Right, that's not within my realm of possibility right now. But even if even if I were able to do that, um, and you know, distribute it to my friends and maybe with the rest of it create some kind of land trust. Um, you know, I would still probably opt for. Like this is your space, this is your home, and you know we're not all, you know, we're not all sharing every single little thing, right? I, I think that you know the individual incentive or the family incentive to 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 work your plot and to improve it because you know that you're going to have rights to it in the long term. I think is is an important incentive. Um, not to say again that that these more commune type setups. Couldn't work out. I, you know, I just think that it gets very complicated very quickly. You know, often, you know, in the past, um, we've had a lot of experiments with that where they didn't work out. They broke up, just because it's very hard to it's very hard to organize those things, right? Uh, it's very it's very hard to keep everybody happy. Um, as As far as succeeding from from a weak government, you know, that's not again that, that's also I don't think in the realm of possibility anytime soon. But I but I do think that um, one can slowly shift much of their economic activity to the informal economy meaning instead of me going to to the supermarket to buy bread you know i i barter bread with my with my neighbor right who, who happens to grow wheat or something and i happen to grow apples right just a very kind of toy simple example um of course it'll get a lot more kind of complicated than that or we just pay each other under the table or something like that um but you know you know in the past and um you know it's interesting being here in 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 a part of appalachia and i you know i've been reading up on the history of, of this area and you know you had all of these kind of like yeoman homesteader farmers uh and, and people emphasize that a lot but what people might not emphasize is that there was a really strong uh culture of mutual aid right like like neighbors helped each other out right like like neighbors knew that they couldn't you know provision everything for themselves like that was just it didn't make sense right like some people were going to make the shoes you know some some people uh you know stuff like so so you started having these kind of village economies where where people started to specialize a little bit right and i and i think that's that's great that's why i think you know to me the idea of a village economy is more attractive than the idea of a commune Mm -hmm. so yeah so you're in favor
0: of you know uh maintaining prop property rights, essentially. Um, um, and- personally,
1: I, I don't think, you know, I, again, if you have the, if you have a, you know, uh, an area with the community and they, they want to opt for something it's it, to me, it's a whole spectrum, right? Like you have, it's to me, it's a, it's a question of, you know, some of, some of the stuff you own yourself, um, and some of the stuff is shared in common and it's really just a spectrum of how far on one end of the spectrum do you want to go? And I'd say if it's like zero to 10, in terms of, you know, zero is property rights, 10 is, is communal, I'd say I'm like a three or a four.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, like, the common system um, originated out of England um, mm-hmm. because when they had very limited land, of course, uh, you can only have a certain amount of a, a village dedicated to grazing, right? And so right. the idea is, you know, we're going to let everyone's animals graze on the common land, um, right. and then we all, we all benefit. Um,
1: Until they enclosed all that land, of course. <laughs> in order yeah, to so provide, you know, so desperate people for to fuel the, the industrial revolution.
0: Yeah, the tragedy of the commons is a uh, part of solving. Well, that's a different thing. That's a that.
1: different. That's a different concept altogether.
0: Well, no, no. So, so, so the tragedy of the commons comes from that problem of how do you stop? Yeah, how do you stop people from enclosing? Um, trying to take it all for themselves? Mm-hmm. Just like with what we're doing to the ocean right now, for example.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of it in that in that sense. But okay. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Because uh, I saw it more of as like a governmental, or you know, like you had a business interest, or you know, uh, some kind of, you know, you had some kind of aristocrat who came in and actually send their thugs and kick the people off the land. You know, and I understand mm-hmm. the tragedy of the commons is you have a community that is managing the, the common pool resources, and and they don't have a you know the right protocols or you know norms of trust, and and people get greedy and start taking more, but. I mean, I guess you. I guess it's a kind of a similar, similar dynamic. But i had I, always kept had those two ideas kind of in separate categories. So it's interesting that you said that. Um, but what you're actually talking
0: about here, I mean, you're 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 not a totalitarian, right? So no. you think that people should be able to set these communities up how they want, and if they want to be more yep. communist, they can be, or more capitalist, uh, it's fine, whatever works. But really, what we're talking about in terms of creating a more sustainable I mean, in terms of having like a real, a genuine impact, right? We're not, we're not talking mm-hmm. about just, you know, recycle your plastic um, yeah. and, and it's going to save the planet, right? Um, right. Plastic straws. <laughs> what we need to be, yeah. What we need to be doing is we're actually, we're trying to scale up the scaling down. And yeah. how do you, how do you actually see that generating into a real movement? I mean, obviously you're not going to have a bunch of like marketing and propaganda behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, is it more like, we're going to create these we're going to encourage people to create these little communities for themselves, do them as experiments. And mm-hmm. if they're experiments that work, then people will like them and those and that will by example attract other people into them. Sort of like, um I, 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 I'm just I'm just thinking right now that there's all these um old tales about uh, white settlers who went in, and, 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 and for various reasons, either because they were captured or they ran away or something, uh, sometimes they were convicts, who went and joined uh, Native American tribes. And mm-hmm. the common narrative, when you look at all of these stories throughout history, is that there's almost no examples of a Native American defecting from their from their home and joining mm-hmm. the white settlers. On the other hand... Almost yeah. all of the white settlers who defected from civilized society and went and joined yeah. these native tribes ended up staying by choice. Mm-hmm. You know, Some of them, yeah. they weren't originally there voluntarily, but they chose to eventually. Um, and in fact, there's even one case I know of of a woman who uh, was captured by a native tribe, lived there I think for like 10 years, and then mm-hmm. was repatriated by the white settlers. And then when she mm-hmm. came back into normal society, she said, no, I want to go back. Yeah. Um, and that's, to me, it, it is similar to how I imagining this playing out in, in obviously without all the, the war brides and things like that, but, um, <laughs> how I imagining this playing out in terms of, um, you know, the conversion process. How do you, how do you see getting, turning this into sort of a, a mass cultural movement or maybe yeah. that's not the goal. Maybe um, I'm misconstruing it. You could tell well, me. Well,
1: I mean, um, so I see that, you know, I think that given the status quo, um, the, you know, this movement is only going to have a marginal impact. Um, you know, I, I do think that more people are getting interested in homesteading uh, recently, especially with COVID and being cooped up in apartments and, and, you know, feeling, feeling scared and fragile and, and feeling like, you know, disconnected from nature. and And I think that there's just kind of a general, you know, interest. And I've just, I've just noticed that, you know, myself, you know, over Twitter, maybe, you know, maybe it's a bad, you know, maybe it's not a great sample or whatever, but, um, I think that, so I think it's a very attractive lifestyle. Um, you know, I I think it, you know, to go from like a full kind of the normal status quo to like a full village economy, like that's a, that's a broad spectrum. Right. And so, you know, and you you would have to get there in steps. So like, there might be somebody who can, who, who can work remotely, moves to the country, starts a little homestead, you know, they, their income still comes from their work. I mean, my income comes from the university, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm only baby steps, you know, along this trajectory. Um, and, you know, and, and just kind of enjoying the fresh air, enjoying the nature, enjoying, you know, uh, being able to eat eggs from, from your own chickens and, and eat tomato, I, I just think it's a very attractive lifestyle, you know, getting outside, physical labor, you know, you don't you don't need a gym gym membership anymore. You know, you don't need to waste your energy on powering machines that don't go anywhere, right? Um, and I so I it, it's very attractive. So that, so that so that's one. I think people um, are just generally getting more interested. But two, I think it'll be seen more and more as we move forward as a as a necessity. Um, I just think that again, for you know a number of reasons that, that I mentioned earlier, you know, I don't see the current our current society and economic system as sustainable. I, I think that, you know, I, I don't see there being kind of a, a collapse all at once, like overnight, like the Twin Towers collapsing. Like, you know, when people hear the word collapse, that's that's what they think of. But I, I think it'll be more like a punctu- punctuated decline where, you know, things just, you know, keep getting worse and worse, um, especially in the cities. and. Um, it, you know, I think the awareness of this as a as a better alternative will, will, will rise as more, you know, more shocks to the system take place. Um, that's, you know, I could be wrong. Right. Um, but for me, you know, even if I am wrong, you know, I really enjoy this lifestyle. I don't think I've ever been happier in my life. Right. Um, and so I would do this either way. But and how long for how long have you been doing this? Uh, we're still in our first year. We're still in our first year. I mean, we're we're kind of brand new. I mean, we're learning everything as we go. Like, you know, we, we knew a little bit of gardening. My wife more than me. You know, I didn't know how to do shit. I didn't know how to build shit. You know, we I built a, we built a chicken coop earlier this year. That was like a revelation. I was like, what else can I build, right? Like, we can build this. What else can I build?
0: Did, um, did you have to you know, convince I'm her right
1: her. now? What's that?
0: I I was just asking. Did you have to convince her, or was she already on board?
1: Um. We were looking for, for houses and I was like, you know, what if we got a place with some land? You know, in that time I I had been like influenced by by people in kind of the regeneration scene like Joe Brewer, but also the local scene like Joe Norman. And I was like, I'd like to get some land, you know, and, and I didn't think it was going to happen. Like we, were, we we almost closed on some houses that didn't have as much land. And then finally we were like, hey, what about that one place we saw a while back that had a lot of land? And at first she didn't like it because it seemed too exposed to the highway, but you know, we were, you know, we went back to her and it's like, yeah. Like, and all of a sudden it's just like the whole vision. Just like, we can do so much stuff on this land. Cause it's, not, you know, it's not that much, you know, we're on five acres, but mm. you know, we like, wow. Like, and then it just, it just all started flooding. I started reading permaculture books. You know, I started, you know, uh, just reading a lot of kind of the history of the region, the way people used to do things. Um, and, you know, so it's really, you know, even when we talk last, I don't even, I, I don't think we had closed on this place yet. And so it was really, you know, not till after that, that this whole kind of, you know, vision kind of sunk into place. And then it, you know, it, then it started clicking in terms of like, you know, me thinking about my, my academic training and, and thinking about, you know, how a lot of kind of the paradigm behind it is bullshit. And, um, you know, reading alternative literature and, <laughs> and here I am today, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um where do i want to go with this uh so you've got this plot of land and uh i'm sure you're learning a ton working with it for the first time and Hmm. building out you know the sort of i i almost view it as like a a prototype right for Hmm. for something much larger that 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 might come later um and uh but you know, you're gaining these skills. You're saying that you're uh, more fulfilled than you've ever been before. It's honestly like really appealing. <laughs> yeah. As somebody who lives in a, I mean, I'm not in an urban area, but uh, I certainly don't have anything like that going on. Um, you although know, I did,
1: well, I I used to live in Lansing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Although I did, I did live uh, a little bit outside of this area, uh, growing up, and on like, I don't know, four acres maybe you know, a mm-hmm. little bit less than five. So I have some idea about how, how much land you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, definitely when I get some, some more money, which, uh, hopefully that'll be this year, uh, I'd, I'd like to get some land at some point and, and move out. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I even talked to you at one point about, uh, not talk to you, but you, you mentioned, you know, c- come out, come out to the East coast, <laughs> <Yeah>. come hang. <laughs> uh, right, and, right. Uh, whenever I decide to make my next move, it'll certainly be something that I that I'm keeping in mind. Um, mm-hmm. But let's let's get into a little bit about your, I guess, economics training and what are some of the problems that you you notice with the field?
1: Yeah, so I mean, my my training was in applied economics, and I, I focused on on like food systems development in in East and Southern Africa, um, and the paradigm there uh, was this idea of structural transformation, which is basically, you know, we need to support small scale agriculture, not to, not as an in itself, but because we need to eventually facilitate people basically moving out of kind of small scale subsistence farming, um, and, and moving to more, towards more of like the formal economy, um, you know, moving to the cities or, or, or just larger villages or something like that. Um, you know, and part of, and, you know, so, so, so there's kind of this implicit assumption that, you know, modernization and industrialization, as we've seen in the West, is inherently good, right? Like that's just kind of the default assumption, and that that's that's, you know, what development practitioners, you know, uh, from USAID to Bill Gates Foundation, like that's what they're all pushing, right? And and part of how they're they're trying to do that is like, okay, we need to get farmers to you know adopt technology you like I don't know how many papers and seminars there are on getting farmers to adopt technology what does that usually mean it means adopting fertilizers um, uh, abandoning kind of their you know their more traditional what I would say more agroecological practices that you know are better for the land um, and also more resilient you know it doesn't necessarily produce as much but is is more resilient better for the land um, and or or bigger machinery, you know, taking out and, you know, that involves getting into debt, taking out loans, you know, it's it's more risky. And a lot of farmers just don't want to do it. Right. And a lot of farmers like, you know, try it. They give it up after one year. And this perplexes all of the developmental experts. Like, why don't why don't these farmers just, you know, do what we tell them to do? Um, and, um, you know, and part of my a lot of my research was more on the urban side, like urban food systems, um, and I, I studied like small scale businesses, like food processors and stuff and how, you know, how they can improve their business and, and stuff. Um, and that was fine. But, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I, think some of the assumptions underlying this whole paradigm, one is that, you know, moving towards the industrial food system, you know, with packaged foods, with all of these chemical inputs, petrochemical inputs, is inherently the, the direction we need to go. Um, and you know, as I've been reading more and more on kind of like the, the peak oil literature or you know, the, you know, the climate ecological crisis literature, um, you know, I just started realizing that you know I, I, I think we're setting people up for failure in the long term by, by doing that. Um, we've already kind of set ourselves up for failure here in the United States. And now we're exporting that model to the rest of the world. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's my major that's my major gripe is, you know, um, is is trying to get farmers to basically to specialize almost all the energy and cash crops, which the, they can then, you know, use to, you know, buy goods and services outside of the kind of the rural farm economy. Um, and, you know, again, essentially become more specialized and dependent on the global system with, you know, and, you know, being more at the mercy of commodity prices, all of this stuff. That mm. you know, I, I just think that it's 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 um, you know, it's the it, it was the wrong direction for us, and it's the wrong direction to be pushing on other people.
0: Yeah, so I I definitely agree with that uh in general that characterization of it um from what I understand about um, I mean I know more about it from like the foreign aid perspective, but I mean it yeah. is it is really a kind of imperialism, right? That that we're exporting, right? And and you're correct that. We are sort of also modeling it almost in, really in an outdated way. We're modeling mm-hmm. it based on the transformation that we saw mm-hmm. ourselves go through. The industrialized right. economies, they went through that particular process, and mm-hmm. they're basically choosing to try to incentivize or force uh, these n- underdeveloped economies into mm-hmm. following that same exact path, when in fact, maybe they mm-hmm. could be skipping a few steps and actually yeah. just going right to a more sustainable type of um type of arrangement. I think that's what you're trying to get to get at a little bit.
1: Yeah. And and I, I'm definitely, you know, I'm not and uh, I don't want people to think that I'm like anti-technology or anti, you know, like I, I definitely think that there are positive elements that, that, you know, are more sustainable, more resilient, all of this stuff, you know, and and we might I figured we might get into this, Um, you know, this idea of cosmolocalism, you know, of localized manufacturing, um, you know, solar, decentralized solar technology, like all of these things that are that are pretty high tech, you know, some of it's low tech, some of it's high tech, you know, all of these can be can be really good things. And and these are these are technologies that can actually perhaps be useful to to some of these, you know, quote, underdeveloped rural economies um, in terms of just you know, raising their standard of living a little bit. Right. Um, so I think that's good. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, what you said about leapfrogging, um, you know, that might be the case, right? Like we might, you know, they've already done that with cell with, with with, with you know, phone technology, right? Like they're, they're mm-hmm. not putting up landlines because they went right to cellular service, you know, and, and parts of Africa are now innovating faster than, you know, anywhere else in the world in terms of like, you know payments and 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 just various different services you have on your phone. You know weather weather information. You know market information. All of this stuff. You know is you know like uh, uh, like Kenya is like kind of a you know one of the global innovators in the space, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you know some of this stuff I think can be good. I'm not I'm not you know a uh, categorical Luddite, so to speak. But I I think that when we innovate when we adopt technology we we always have to ask like what is what are we doing this for. Right. Like, what is this appropriate to living well within the limits of the earth in a sustainable, resilient way or not? And I think a lot of technologies are not, you know, are not like that. So
0: that's that's a paradigm that, you know, I'm really sympathetic to. And uh, unfortunately, I think that the U.S. is well, well, we all know the U.S. isn't the only player in that game who's trying to. Influence these economies and these locales. Um, China, other European, yeah, other European countries are doing it. China <laughs> is doing it on an insane scale in Africa. They might own all of Africa by the end of the century. Um, and a lot of their way that they're doing is through financial leverage, putting people into debt traps, um, mm-hmm. and then they, you're, you know, then you're working for them. Um, and so. In some sense, there's there's a certain amount of tragedy to it, because I think that from the United States, um, just from a pure foreign policy perspective, we view it almost like, well, we're the existing hegemon mm-hmm. and China is this up and coming wannabe hegemon. And mm-hmm. so if we don't do it, then they're going to. Um, yeah. And I think one of the harder things is going to be figuring out how to. uh how to not, well, not be so paternalistic, for one, but also mm-hmm. uh, not, not turn this into a zero-sum game dynamic where yeah. it's it's these other countries and these other people that are suffering, you know, so that we can, you know, jockey for position.
1: Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, in Game B, they talk about, like, mul- multipolar, you know, traps and, and all of this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think China is going to face a lot of the same challenges that you know, we are that we've that we've talked about, Um, you know, again, I think that, you know, there's going to be, you know, uh, sure, you know, again, energy, I think, is just not emphasized enough, right? Like, like solar is very promising, but, you know, all of the materials to that go into solar, you know, all the the raw materials, lithium, you know, uh, uh, what else? It's saving my mind, but, you know, all of these things need to be extracted. You know, these are where Earth minerals. Um, Yes uh the energy that goes into to actually making the solar panels, distributing them, like you know, all of this stuff, and you know, as well as battery technology, right? Like um Tesla you know,
0: people, buy Tesla?
1: Yeah. I mean <laughs> battery technology is getting better, but I'm not sure if it, you know I, I'm still skeptical and maybe I'm wrong here, but I'm I'm skeptical that the you know in 10 years, if we stop using all fossil fuels, um, you know, renewable energy, and let's take nuclear out of this, because that's a wild card. But if we took nuclear out of this, that renewable energy would be able to power the global economy as we see it today. Like that that seems very far fetched to me. Um, and so I, I think, you know, if if there's these challenges, if there's these challenges of, you know, of land degradation, topsoil loss where, you know, crops you keep piling, you know, chemical fertilizers on them, and you know, the the, the crops just aren't responding like they used to. Um, you start getting these these major kind of, uh, uh, you know, like these major shocks to the system. Like I think China is going to be in the same boat that we are, right? And so in terms of like, oh, we need to we need to gear up. I mean, you know, we're kind of in an economic cold war, right? Like that's kind of the mentality. Whereas like when you know when we were facing off against the Soviet Union, you know, we had to invest in all this you know, technology, rocket technology, you know, in order to beat the Soviets. And now it seems like you know, I, I think a danger is that we're doing the same thing with China um, and we're all just kind of running off of a cliff. Together. Together.
0: We'll both go down <laughs> together. Hand in um, hand. Yeah. So let's get into technology a little bit, because I think one yeah. of the one of the stronger critiques against these kinds of, um, of visions, and I, I don't Get the sense that you're really a sort of a hippie dippy idealist about any of this. Um, but one of the stronger critiques is mm-hmm. that you can't do high end manufacturing, right? And, and you need things like, you know, airplanes and jet engines and medicines, and mm-hmm. you need to be able to do science, which takes often very complex equipment that is not feasible to produce on a small scale. How do you mm-hmm. account for? you know, the technical capacity that's required to keep this kind of uh, modernized economy going. You know, I mean, we're both using computers, right? Yeah. You're you're not going to make that in. It's very unlikely you're going to make that on any kind of small scale. And, And you do need a certain level of global supply chain in order to source all the materials because the materials aren't located in one place.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one I'll just say right off the bat is I think we consume way too much and we waste way too much, right? So, you know, I'm I'm definitely a degrowther, right? I, I think that this obsession with GDP growth is is very mistaken. I mean, we're kind of trapped in it with these debt cycles, but, um, you know, you know, we're we're not building stuff to last, um, you know, uh, all all of this stuff. So, I, I think we need to consume much less stuff um, in terms of the stuff we'd like to keep, you know, computer technology, um, modern medicine, I agree with you. Like some of this stuff is going to require some scale and it's going to require trade. Um, I do think that a lot of the manufacturing can be, can be relocalized at least to like large scale regional levels, um, while still trading in, you know, the raw material, um, you know, the, the raw material resources you know, necessary to make them work. Um, And I think, you know, part of of what makes that possible is the technology, is digital technology, right? Like the fact that we can open source designs uh, for things like 3D printers, but, you know, not just 3D printing, Um, you know, the fact there's there's this movement um, called open source technology uh, which, you know, they're basically trying to create a, a basically a civilizational toolkit that can be made locally. Um, based on kind of these open source designs and and local materials not not always local materials just, you know sometimes traded but um and so i do think that we're going to need some scale for some things right um, part of localism is minimum viable scale right and so if if certain you know machine technologies you know or certain you know equipment that you need to to make the medicines you know needs to be more centralized then so be it right? But um, there's a lot of things, uh, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that I think can easily be more localized. Um, Food is one of them. I mean, food is kind of like my major, and food systems is kind of like my major obsession. And so that's what I'm really focused on. Um, But I think a lot of manufacturing can as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with that. I think that, um, uh, how do I say this? I think that it's unclear to me how much you can do with certain things like 3d printers for example um yeah. just because they're kind of limited by like the materials that you can use um
1: yeah
0: but obviously i agree with all of this stuff about um you know open sourcing technology and in fact i had uh, one of my earliest uh episodes was with jason snyder or not <laughs> that's your name. <laughs> that's my well, name that's that's also true uh this is a different jason I'm blanking on his first name right now. Um, I, I, Jason, who runs the blog Roots of Progress, I'm blanking on his last name for some reason, but uh, he runs the blog Roots of Progress, which is basically um, they've got a a nice uh, hefty grant. And um, what he's doing with that is he's basically uh, outlining um, or, or creating more like an, it's more like an encyclopedia of he, he calls it like bootstrapping civilization, right? So he's mm. exploring things like, you know, materials, basic chemistry, like how's concrete made, like what are locomotives about? And, and basically the idea with that is uh, try to document all these, you know, vast accomplishments that really we've, most of them we've made in like the last few hundred years. Um, mm. So that, you know, in the worst case scenario where, you know, you have to like break the glass, and, and, and mm-hmm. try to start over uh, civilization on some small scale. That there'll be something there in terms of yeah. at least information to get people mm-hmm. going again, because there is this real fear of of loss. And even just from generation to generation, like I'm sure the kinds of factories that we were building that the the 19th century industrialists were building probably mm-hmm. couldn't be built today. And and you know maybe mm-hmm. there's been a lot of improvements on right. on the process and various kinds of automation and things like that. But I'm sure there's been just loss of generational knowledge um and so that's Mm -hmm. something that we do need to figure out how to preserve um obviously digitization and the internet is going to be a big part of that um speaking of the internet one of the things that i wanted to get into with you uh that's related to all of this and is sort of attacking it on the economic front and is a way to get away from some of these centralized institutions like the imf like the world bank etc is cryptocurrency um, do you have yeah. an interest in cryptocurrency, and have you thought about, you know, alternatives for you know decentralized finance, DeFi, fitting into these schemes, especially sort of the um, economies that you're talking about?
1: Like- I mean, I'm certainly interested. Um, honestly, it's not it's not my area of specialty at mm-hmm. all. Um, so I, I listen to podcasts about it and stuff. I I don't actually own any crypto right now. You know, I'm I, I'm thinking about it. Um, you know, I, I'd rather put my money in in land projects, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather buy fruit and nut trees than than buy Bitcoin at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's a mistake. I don't know. Um, you know, from what I've heard, like in you know, in, in terms of what seems really interesting to me, it's I don't know if you've heard of like Hollow Chain. Um, it's you know, it's kind of they you know they, they they talk about it kind of as an alternative to to the blockchain. Uh, it's more peer to peer. Uh, there's no kind of centralized ledger. Um, and it's more kind of adaptable to like what communities want and need on kind of a decentralized scale. Um, and so kind of that that direction of, of alternative currencies crypto, I'm, I'm very interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think it, it can and should play a role. You know, I, I just, you know, I won't be the one leading that effort, just because I, I don't know that much about it. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's very promising you know i also think that you know some in the you know some stuff in the crypto space kind of seems like a scam or a pyramid scheme or you know a spec you know uh just kind of a speculative whatever whatever um but i I do think that there's there's real value that's that's coming out of it and is going to come out of it um i I don't think we've really realized that value yet um you know
0: i i totally agree um uh yeah i mean it is the wild wild west out there so there's going yeah. to be people coming and trying to take advantage of people. And, you know, there's going to be vapor wave type phenomena going on. Um, but in general, I do think that we're getting to the point where it's, you know, obviously the big names. You've got Bitcoin, you've got Ethereum, you've got Litecoin. Those are all very well established. They have very well organized, you know, open source development teams. And mm. people can generally trust that. Those are at least going to be around for a while. They may not win out in the end. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know which one is, is going to reign supreme. But yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you that like there's a lot of untapped possibility there in terms of uh, different ways of organizing payment systems and transactions and yeah. ownership, all, all kinds of things like that. I haven't looked into Holochain yeah. specifically, so I can't really talk about that. But I'm very excited about, for example, the Ethereum protocol. Um, and uh what you can do with smart contracts especially in the realm of uh of governance and politics because yeah governance is really just a, a bunch of contracts put together and so you can really right. just like the constitution in my opinion could just be a bunch of code um yeah. and it effectively is that it's yeah. just in paper in english right yeah uh,
1: no, I, yeah no i i agree i mean I, I think you know in order for my vision to be realized i think you know you're still going to need higher level governance um mm-hmm. and so how are you going to have you know many kind of bioregional local economies um like they're still going to need to trade with each other they're still going to need to interact i mean they're still going to be you know uh want to be warlords and um you know there's they're still going to be kind of people vying for power um, south Appalachian autonomous zone <laughs> That, I mean, you know that I'm trying to I'm trying to convince all my friends to move here to Southern Appalachia, and we're gonna you know we're basically gonna form an empire. that's they're gonna that's elect you mayor and then I mean, we'll see, right? We'll see. whoever's make, whoever's the most worthy. make your buddy the sheriff. <laughs> Just run a little. Town. I mean hopefully hopefully it's um you know hopefully it's it's not uh, client clientistic or you know all of that stuff. But I do think in order to, I do think we're gonna need this higher level collective intelligence. As a global system to make it all work. Because there's gonna be a lot of international issues still. Like, for example, climate change, even if we stopped emissions today, it's just gonna it's just gonna get worse. It's, it's already baked in. And there's gonna be you know millions of climate refugees, right? Like that's a global problem, right? Like, and and I think you know that's something that I would like to see all of us come together to to sort out, right? And and figure out how to fit people in here and there, and you know, if they're if where they live is no longer viable you know because of things like you know uh, you know flooding right <laughs> like they they they're they're you know uh, bangladesh for example is is you know not not looking good right like uh you know there's predictions that you know millions and millions of people are going to be displaced in the next in the next few decades in, in bangladesh um and so we're going to need these higher levels of intelligence um to be able to still operate you know as a global system and 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 have emergent governance at the appropriate scale, at the minimum viable scale, right? Mm -hmm. So it's still a localist vision, um, recognizing that sometimes the minimum viable scale is global. Um, And to do that in a decentralized way, you need collective intelligence. And to have collective intelligence, you need need these kind of technologies that we're talking about. And so, you know, I'm definitely, you know, I I definitely um, am kind of, I'm not, I'm not like following it closely, but I'm following it kind of like, you know, kind of a side eye follow, like, know just kind of keeping up enough just so i have a general sense of uh, of what's going on out there Um, but i I think it's important
0: yeah and um i i wanted to just sort of as we're kind of wrapping this up here because it's just getting late Mm -hmm. um i i wanted to ask you a little bit about this concept of permaculture which we've been sort of talking about in i guess more specific terms um Mm -hmm. around things like homesteading and issues with mm-hmm. monocropping and things like that. But how do you think about permaculture? Because I know that you have expertise in this area. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, a, a year's worth of. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll, I'll, yeah I'll, uh, well, I, I just met with like the food sustainability and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what are some things that people can actually start doing? Um, for example, people who might be listening to this uh, mm-hmm. to start to implement some of these um you know, on a small scale in, in their own lives, some of these principles of
1: more sustainable living. Right. So, I mean, permaculture is a set of design principles. um, And, um, you know, so set of design principles, basically with the idea that you're trying to kind of maximize the, the, this kind of the synergetic effects among the elements of the system to produce not the yield of say one crop, but kind of like the total, total overall kind of like, both ecological and human health. Um, And so that includes, you know, uh, it's all you know, it's not just applied to food, it's also applied to energy. It's like, you know, thinking about like passive solar and and how, you know, uh, your energy capture relates to the stuff you're growing and and also relates to community life. So it, it can get very broad, you know, and there's there's you know a set of like 12 principles. There's other things like zones and you know all of this stuff. But you know, in terms of like you know how people can at a very basic level Think about applying it. It's you know another another aspect of it is kind of this closed loop system. Like like can you can you eventually over time minimize the amount of inputs that need to go in the system, and can you recycle the outputs, right? So instead of you know can you you know instead of thinking of it as like you constantly need to have inputs coming from the outside into your system, may it, say it's a homestead system or an eco village, mm-hmm. and you're producing all of this waste that needs to be carted out, you know can you over time recycle that waste into fertility? and minimize the inputs, right? So that's, I think, you know, a very key takeaway. And so, you know, a very simple example of that is composting, right? Um, You know, so if somebody wants to, you know, start moving in this direction, you know, and you live in an apartment complex in the city, you know, get a tomato plant, right? Or, you know, get some potted plants, right? Um, If you can, if you have a little little bit of space, start a compost, right? Um, uh, You know, people get, you know if you want to go really kind of extreme like people talk about eventually we'll need to f- figure out much better ways to recycle human waste you know back into the fertility of the land and, and, and things like this. Um, but you know one thing about one thing about permaculture I would say with regards to urbanization is that it's very hard as a very dense city, say New York City, to you know like like it's just very hard to to live by or operate by permaculture principles in a city like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the amount of inputs that have come into that city every day, the amount of waste that goes out of that city every day, it's very hard to recycle in a concrete jungle, right? Um, but, yeah, so I think, you know, if there's any takeaway, it's, it's you know, start growing stuff, you know, even if, even if it's plotted, potted vegetables, herbs, stuff like that, um, and start thinking about, you know, start thinking about where you get your water, um you know can you capture your water instead of you know getting it from the the town supply uh or even you know a well or something like that um can you you know um you know i I think just basic things like uh thrift you know like can you can you maintain a good standard of living using less um you know can you can you can you fix things that break instead of buying a new thing um but I think that's where I would start. But, you know, it's a whole it's a whole world out there. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, if if you have a piece of land, you know, there's a whole other conversation we can get into. Right. So, so
0: maybe, maybe we don't want to get into that right now, but um, mm. yeah, I, and, and, you know, it, it is going to take some amount of effort on your part in order to really implement this, right? Um, even just getting a piece of yep. land is getting harder and harder. Um, yeah, depending on where you are in the country and what your, you know, living situation yeah. is,
1: but I mean, I I, I also think that's a problem. I think the, the the price of land is very high. It is very hard. It is very hard to to achieve this homestead vision. I mean, I I also think we need a new homestead act, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, um, you know, what, I, I what would, was the I homestead act? See... What's that? What was that? What's the, that the, legislation? The original that? homestead act. I think it was like in like after the Civil War, and it, it basically, you know uh, basically the government, you know, allowed, allowed, you know, um, kind of aspiring home centers, basically a, a, an allotment of land that they could own, you know, for, for free or very cheap, uh, basically where they could set up a homesteading lifestyle. Um, and so, and today it would be, it would be much harder because a lot of all of that land is already owned. It's, just, it's owned by large scale farmers. It's owned by speculators. It's owned by, you know, people, you know, investors. And, and to me, that's, that's a big problem. And so, um, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, like the, the policy discussion on how to do that is, is a whole discussion and you can talk about incentives or you can talk about something that's more kind of like, you know, land, hard, hardcore land reform. Um, you know, that's a, that that's the discussion that people can have dif- differences of opinion over. But, um, so that, that's, that's kind of an aside that mm-hmm. it, I, you know, I recognize that it is hard to get land and, the, the most viable way for people to do that might be to, to go in together. You know, get like five of your friends and you know and 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 your wives or husbands together and buy a bunch of land and you know you can have it more communal or less communal. Build different you know residences or or you know more communal thing and go and go, go in on it together. I, I think that might be for a lot of people the most viable the most viable way to do that. Um, I kind of got, I think i I feel like I've kind of gotten us off track. Did I get us off, get us off track?
0: No, I think, I think we're okay. right, right on track where we were. Um, well, that's, that's really awesome. And I, I think that uh, that's going to about sum it up tonight just because uh, sure. I'm getting a little bit tired here. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, so I hope you all uh, got some, uh, enjoyed this conversation here with Jason. I had a great time um and got some good tips on how you might start implementing some of these ideas in your own life and jason thanks so much i really appreciate it i loved having you on
1: yeah man alex anytime man. i really enjoy these conversations thank you see you later cool take care if you've
0: listened this far you're probably a fan of this show or at least a fan of this episode either way i can't thank you enough for tuning in Producing this show has been one of my greatest pleasures over the last year, and none of this would be possible without you. That being said, until now, I have shied away from making this a fully self-sustaining project. Thus far, Politics has been entirely self-funded out of my own pocket. However, this arrangement is not sustainable. Over the next year, I intend to bring enough value through podcasts, videos, writing, and other information products to transition to the career of a full-time creator. Thanks to the pandemic my previous career plans have hit a bit of a bump in the road. I took some risk in putting this content out under my own name, and I'm not sure what that will mean for my employment prospects in the future. So if you want me to be able to keep doing this, if you listen to my content and find it valuable, educational, or even just entertaining, then please consider supporting this show. I've set up a portal on agorapolitics.com where you can go and give tips in the form of Bitcoin or Ethereum at the bottom of the homepage to support independent thinking and an independent content creator. You can also support my transition to full-time creator by becoming part of the Agora Politics community on Patreon.
1: Thank you for listening
0: and Happy New Year.